Thanks, buddy. What's hard with worshiping with Brian is is I'm I'm just in a big tension of I want to focus on God, but I can't stop focusing on Brian, and and it's because he's so good. My last thought before I came up here was, what would it take to have him sing to me every night before I go to bed? Um, and that's not good. It's we're worshiping God, and I'm fighting that. I fight that when Brian sings. He's such a talented singer. Thank you very much for. Let's be honest, it's the beard. It, it is the beard. Yeah, the beard doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to James one. Um, we'll be in there tonight, and so you can get ready for that. Um, next week we will be meeting. I know there's some little bit of discussion on uh, it's election night and how does that work. Um, and so we will be meeting next week. So go vote, um, cast your ballot, and then uh, come on over, and we'll jump into God's word uh, as well. Um, as you're turning to James 1, let me just read you um, out of, uh, this is a book called Jesus Freaks uh, by the band DC Talk, actually. And it's a, it's a compilation of um, stories from AD 1, basically, all the way up to present time of people that have given their lives for the cause of the gospel. Uh, this takes place in Rome uh, in AD, circa AD 161. Uh, her name is Felicitas. And this is about Felicitas and her seven sons. There, a woman who blasphemed the gods as well, emperor, uh, continued the priest in his plea to resume the persecution of Christians that had ended at Trajan's death roughly uh, 45 years earlier. She and her brood of seven boys spread the Christian religion everywhere they go, right under your feet here in Rome. They pull people daily from the worship of the gods. It's a mockery and an affront to your eminence. Emperor Antonius stirred uneasily at this. The priest saw that he had driven home his point. Very well then, said the emperor. I need not be mocked in my very own city. Have the prefect arrest her and threaten her. If she will not return to the worship of the gods, then he can deal with her. Publius, the prefect of Rome, was not pleased with his task. Felicitas was well known in the city and well loved. For this reason, he first asked her and her sons to see him in his home secretly that he might question them and dismiss the case without being under the eyes of his priests. Through this, uh, though this was in the prefect's home, it still had an official air. As guards stood all around them, Felicitas and Publius spoke together. He made the initial plea with soft words and promises, but as she remained resolute in her refusal to denounce Jesus, his tone turned to shouts and threats of the severest tortures. To both, to both, Felicitas's words were frank and direct. You don't move me with either your flattering words and promises, nor am I intimidated by your threats. Because I have experienced in my own heart the workings of the Holy Spirit, who gives me a living power and prepares me for the struggles of torture so that I can endure anything that you might do to me and hold fast to the confession of my faith. Seeing that he was wasting his time to push them further at this point, Publius sent them away to think over their decisions. The next morning, he summoned them as he sat in the square before the temple of Mars. From here, he took a different tack. Very well then, Felicitas, if you are satisfied to die, then die alone. But have a mother's pity and compassion on your sons. And instruct them at least to save their own lives by sacrificing to the gods. Felicitas bristled at this. Your compassion is pure wickedness and your advice is nothing but cruelty. For if my son sacrificed to the gods... They will not save their lives, but surrender them to the hellish fiends who are your gods. 
They would become their slaves and be chained in darkness for everlasting fire. Then she turned to her sons. Remain steadfast, sons, in the faith and in your confession. Jesus and his saints are waiting for you in heaven. Therefore, fight bravely for your souls and show that you are faithful in the love of Christ, the love which, with which he loves you and you him. Woman, the prefect interrupted, how dare you defiantly encourage your sons to defy the commands of the emperor under my very nose? Isn't it better that you instruct them to obedience rather than rebelliousness? But Felicitas knew what she was saying and what kind of death would probably result from her boldness. Yet she still persisted. Rather than condemning the prefect, though, she turned to him tenderly and bravely and tried to bring him to the truth. Prefect, if you only knew our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of his divinity and majesty, you would know better than to try to draw us away from him. And you would stop this persecution. You would know that we cannot curse him or turn away from him for anyone who curses Christ and his faithful ones curses God himself, who by faith lives in our hearts. At this, the guard struck her hard with his fist across her mouth, hoping to silence her. But even at this, she continued to warn her sons against denying their faith and to fear neither torture nor painful death as these were nothing compared to an eternity with Jesus in heaven. Publius had Felicitas and her sons taken away and then brought each one of the young men back one by one to question them privately. Yet whatever he promised or threatened, none of them would turn from Jesus. Frustrated at his failure, he sent a note to the emperor that they all remained obstinate in their confession of Jesus. The emperor sentenced all of them then to die at the hands of different executioners and that Felicitas would be the last to die. After she watched each one of her sons die. And over the next four months, these sentences were carried out. Janarius, the eldest, went first while the others were forced to watch. He was scourged with a whip made of cords that had a small ball of lead at the end of each strand. He was beaten with this on the back, on his neck, sides, and any other fleshly part of the body the torturer could reach with the scourge until he no longer moved. Felix and Philippus were the next two oldest, and they followed. They were beaten to death with rods. Sylvanius was tossed down from a great height. The three youngest, Alexander, Vitalius, and Martalius, were each brought before their mother separately and beheaded. Last of all, with tears glistening in her eyes at both the pain of watching her sons die and the anticipation of soon being with them again before Christ, Felicitas herself was beheaded with a sword. AD 161 in Rome. I start that with you tonight because I want to ask this question. Is her story and should her story be the exception or the norm? Is her response to persecution an exceptional response, or should it be not surprising to anyone who knows Jesus? Do we read that story and hear that story and say to ourselves, what an incredible godly woman of faith? Or do we say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's exactly what you should have done. Put yourself in Felicitas' shoes, as I've often done, as I've read that several times, and ask yourself, 
where would I be and what would I do? Because guys, as we look at James chapter 1, starting in verse 22 tonight, we come across a very interesting dilemma. And really, I, I think we come across a very interesting crossroads, maybe in our lives personally. Uh, certainly, I've wrestled with this issue over the years. Maybe you have too. The question goes something like this. Will a believer's life in Christ look different after he or she has come to know Christ? That's the issue tonight. Will your life look different after you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, hear me carefully because I chose those words carefully. I didn't say, should your life look different? But rather, I asked the question, will your life look different? And as we kind of gather here for the next few moments, I want us to think about that, not in terms of globally or macro maybe, but in terms of my own personal life. Does my life look different, any different? And when I say different, of course, I mean in in the positive, toward Christ, toward the cross. Does my life look any different than it did prior to coming to know him? Not have I gotten older, not have I gotten more mature maybe because of age or I've made, uh, you know, more decisions because I'm older now. But does my life look definitely, definitively different than it did before I came to know Christ? Really, that's, that's the question I want to pose to you. Um, I have the, the PowerPoint here. Um, if you can throw that up. Take a look at these uh, two quotes, and let me get your opinion on them. One from John MacArthur, the other from John Stott. John Stott was an English preacher, still alive today, wrote, writes a number of, of wonderful commentaries. Uh, MacArthur says this, he says, Faith and obedience are inescapably related. There is no saving faith in God apart from obedience to God. And there, can no be, there cannot be, I'm sorry, yeah, and there can be no godly obedience without godly faith. And somewhat similar, Stott says, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. Agree? Disagree? Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. If you take Stott's quote, what word would we typically put into the word and substitute for obedience? Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of faith, is what, if I took a poll, most of us would probably default to that word, faith. Why do you think he would use the word obedience? Because obedience to God requires faith. Are the two linked? Now, my question is, the answer was absolutely. Faith and obedience are linked. Now, here's my question. I thought you would answer that way. So my question is this. Are they inextricably linked? Now, be very careful how you answer this, because how you answer this says a lot about what you believe about justification and what we would call soteriology. Are faith and obedience inextricably linked? Is the question really at hand tonight? And guys, my heart honestly is not to um, tell you what I believe. I have an opinion. You might have an opinion. Pastor Lynn has an opinion. 
But rather, it's just to go to God's word and say, God, help me understand this passage in such a way that not only can I speak about it in somewhat intellectual verbiage, but God, that it would transform my life, that it would, that it would change who I am. That would be my heart. And so as you wrestle through this question, and really that's the question, are faith and obedience linked? Right? Are they inextricably linked? In other words, can I have one without the other? Or are they two separate entities that, sure, they'd be nice to have, it'd be great to have, we recommend you have it, but not necessary to have both? And that's kind of the question at hand tonight. We find our passage in James chapter 1, and this is why I bring this up, because James says some interesting things. Uh, James says in chapter 1, starting in verse 22, he says, but, so, so to bring us up to speed, right, he got through all of verses 1 through 18, and starting in 19, he starts to ask and answer, really, this issue of conduct. What should your conduct look like as a Christian? So we started, we started this last week and we talked about this idea that when I read God's word, I should be quick to hear his word, slow to respond to his word, especially when I'm defensive and that's going to come out in forms of anger. So get, be slow to be angry, be patient. When God's trying to teach you something via the Holy Spirit in his word, listen to what he's saying is basically what James is saying. Be teachable. And when you're teachable, then accept the fact that God probably knows more than you and I do. He probably knows what's best for your life. And therefore, the ultimate goal, the ultimate reality would be to submit to, come under what God is saying to you and to me. And and, and the the grand prize is the man or woman who actually does what God's word is telling him or her to do. That's that's the goal here, guys. So James says, be quick to speak, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And he says, for the anger of man does not approve or achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside, now here come some checklists, really. Here come some marks of obedience. He says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility. Receive God's word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And he runs right in now to verse 22. But, and, prove yourself to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks natural, his natural face in the mirror. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten the kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, well, this man is blessed in what he does. In fact, if anyone thinks himself to be religious but doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, well, this man's religion is worthless. So this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. Visit orphans and widows in their times of distress and keep yourself unstained by the world. So let's just stop there and, I guess, introduce the question once again. Are these two things inextricably linked? Okay, so practically speaking, here's what I'm talking about. I come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I accept him fully. I come to the cross. However you want to say that, right? I prayed the prayer. I got saved at the altar. We could come up with dozens and dozens of terms. In fact, one of the things I do with my students over at the high school is I say to them, uh, day one, I say, um, 
tell me what does it look like to get saved as a Christian? Like what terminology do we use? And we just start kind of just shouting out answers. So I just write them all down. And I've never written less than 20 answers down to how you get saved as a Christian. I got to repent. I got to believe. I got to repent and believe. I got to get saved by faith. I got to get saved by faith plus baptism. I have to pray the prayer. I got to get washed in the blood. I've got to believe. On and on and on and on. And so however you say it, whatever you, I think we're all driving at the same point, which is I'm saved by faith through grace. Great. Okay, we can all agree with that. Now the question becomes, I do that. And, and let's say I do that when I'm, well, I did it when I was 17 at ASU as a freshman in college. Should now, will now, my life as a new believer, as a new creature, as a Jesus follower, disciple of Jesus, should my, will my life look any different? Um, I, I brought these, I just last night pulled these off my bookshelf and, and this is not a topic that is is new to anyone. These are just books. I pulled these as crazy love. This is cost of discipleship. Michael W. Smith got in on the act. Time to be bold. Um, one for great one for teenagers. Do hard things. Uh, the Harris brothers. His their older brother did. Um, I kiss dating goodbye. That Josh Harris. He, they wrote a book. Um, Piper gets in on it. Don't waste your life. MacArthur Gospel According to Jesus. Piper again. Uh, Farrar got in it. Finishing strong. Book after book after book after book is all about hey live the Christian life well, which is all fine and dandy, but it doesn't get us to the original question, which is will I do it? Because we all hear messages, guys, and I could give you message after message, and it sounds good, and it looks good, and it says, go for it, and here's the banner, and raise the banner, and go, and serve Jesus, and, and whenever I hear a message like that, I'm always the guy in the back asking the question mentally, I know I should do it, pastor, whomever, and I'm motivated to do it, and I want to, you know, I want to do it, but my question theologically is, what if I don't? Do I have the option as a Christian to not obey? So, I've talked long enough. Let me hear a couple of your thoughts. Do I have the option as a believer to not obey what is being said to me here? Uh, before we get too far afield from what you read to us. Mm-hmm. The quotes. We had the experience of seeing that in person. In Vietnam. Oh, the story. I'm sorry. Okay. And we were in a tribal village that had been ministered to by Wycliffe people. And they were Christians. The one Christian that we met watched and his five brothers beheaded because he would not renounce his faith in Christ. The interesting thing, this was, they first built their church. That's the first thing this group did when they were driven from the highlands. We were asked if we would share our testimony with the people. And we did, and we crowded into the pastor's little house, and there were people hanging in the windows. We shared our testimony, and after that, he said to us, my wife and I had three of our kids with us, he said, Write down your names. We'd like to continue to pray for you. 
if, if we were ever humbled, we were humbled then because we witnessed that person who said, my faith I put out there on the line and I backed it up with obedience. Yeah. We saw that in person. And we have often gone back to that and said, could we do that? Yeah. Most of us will never be in that position. Uh, it's a life changer, even to witness it. And, and I guess I want to, you know, get to the martyrdom thing. Let me just answer the martyrdom thing. Peter denied Jesus. So before you answer that, let me answer it for you. Yes, Peter did deny Jesus and, and later actually did go to his death for the cause of the gospel. Um, someone's got a gun to your head, knee-jerk reaction, deny Jesus. Uh, could I? Yes, I, you know, I, someone's got a gun to my kid's head, you know, deny Jesus. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'd like to say right now before you what I do, but I don't know. I, I pray to God I'd never be in that situation. So I want to be honest and, and not stand up here and think, um, you know, let's all, let's all go and, and do that in an act of obedience. These people did, and books are written about them. Um, so, so that would be the most extreme thing you could do, would be to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. And that's, uh, you know, those people we, we see clearly in Scripture are rewarded, they're honored in heaven for doing that. Many, many more will come during the tribulation. Um, and maybe it will be someone that you know um, or a loved one. I don't know. We live in a very, very different age right now in a very comfortable time. And none of us really have come close to even being threatened, um, much less persecuted to the point of death for our faith. So with that said, I want to move more into a realm of practicality, which is uh, knowing most of us won't get to that point of having to decide life or death. Will my life look any different just on the day to day? Does obedience follow faith? Back in one of the Psalms, it says that righteousness looks down from above and faithful look, faithfulness looks up from the earth. And with regard to the obedience, I think that is perhaps a metric because in that relationship, we can fall short. And Correct. therefore be disobedient. But as what happened to Peter, he recognized it and he died a martyr because he overcame his humanness. Absolutely. It's a good point. And, and, and this is what becomes problematic is the minute I say, yes, they're inextricably linked. Yes, I can't have one without the other. Now I've got to start to look around my life and say, well, how come I'm not 100% obedient in this area? Or I think Pastor Lynn a couple of weeks ago as he launched into the Christian Atheist Talk uh, series said something to the effect of you're 90%, you're doing good, 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 but there's 10% of your life. Pick an area, right? We all have them. Pick an area that you're disobedient in. And, and, and I think I wrote it down. He said um, something to the effect of... What does your life look like if, if you have that 10% that is missing, that's disobedient, you're living more like an atheist in that area of your life than you are a follower of Jesus. And so I thought about that. I was listening to that podcast and I thought about that and I thought, yeah, but, but 90% of my life is, is going well here. 
And so, God, you've got to, you know, what is that? Does that count for anything? In other words, I just don't want to focus on the 10% that I'm screwing up. Because I think in, in our life, there's, is there ever going to be a point where you can go down the list of your life and say, in every area, I'm at maximum obedience. Is that possible? So, so again, I want to get out of the realm of theory and let's all agree. I don't know too many of us that are going to go through life at a hundred percent obedience in every area of our lives. There's always something to work on. There's always something to ask God for help in. But overall, is my life different than a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? And I know that word, guys, overall is problematic. But I'll use it anyway. Because I don't know of another word. Overall, do I see a difference? Or the other option is, I'm 17, I come to know Jesus Christ, I thank him for giving me the gift of eternal life, and then I go live life the way I want to live it. So the big picture, the big question is, do I have that option as a believer? Using Pastor Lynn's theme for for the series here, do I have the option as a Christian to be a Christian atheist? Is that even on the table for me as a believer in Jesus? Because guys, I'm telling you right now, the way you answer this question, the way I answer this question dictates not only a lot about what I think theologically, but it dictates a lot about how I live my life. So that's, that's, that's what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, question in the back or answer in the back and then comment up here. We'll go here and then there. I, I believe firmly that you can choose to be a Christian atheist, um, but you do risk your reward. I mean, for all your efforts here on earth, you're rewarded in heaven, and I think that's scripturally sound. So okay. you, you could live like a heathen here on earth, but when you get to heaven, you're going to be the very least. And that's just, you know... Okay, so I can live, so, okay, so, so I I come to know Jesus, we use verbiage in the scripture, we get verbiage from the scripture about when I come to know Jesus, let me just ask you, when I come to know Jesus, what happens to me? What does the scripture tell me what happens to me? I go from death to life, old creature to new creature, I've been uh, born in the spirit. I'm indwelt by Christ, the Holy Spirit. So all those things can happen to me, do happen to me. Positionally, where am I when I come to know Jesus? Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Positionally, where am I? I'm with Christ, really, in the heavens, positionally. Positionally, what does God see me as? Righteous. So we're not going to, we don't need to argue those things, right? We don't need to even, those are done deals when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And agreed, those are done deals. Those are put away. We can tell people that. We can champion that. So what I've wrestled with is this. If all of that is true, not just for the American Christian, not just for the teenage Christian, but for any believer, any walk of life, any era any creed uh, in terms of their, their, their race or any, any location that we know to be true of every person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. 
with all of that said, can I then choose to live my life um, apart from, maybe is a good word, the reality of what the scriptures say a believer's life should look like? Yeah, you run the risk of being spanked over and over and over again. Um, but you, but you ultimately, you, you have that choice. Um, we have free will. And once you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have salvation. You can't lose it. I mean, so with that said, if you choose to live your life poorly, you, you lose. I, I mean, you can't lose God's love. Yeah. You know, so you, you get spanked and eventually he calls you home and you get very little uh, uh, praise from God, I think, when you stand in front of him. But okay. You, but he that's, still, that, that but he still loves you. Absolutely a fair option. A and, fair and if that wasn't the case, then we wouldn't have salvation in Jesus, you know, because we all fall short. Even after salvation, like you were saying, we have absolutely. that 10% disobedience yeah, in our life. There will right? always be that. So Good. You know. Thank you very much for that thought. Yep. Okay, I, I agree with uh, Calvinism more than I am Ar- Armenian view. <clears throat> so I believe that God draws them to himself. I believe, just like the last guy said, that you do have free will to make choices. Mm-hmm. You can, you have free will to make choices, but you're not, you, you can't choose your consequences. So, having said that, um, I think when the consequences come, it's like touching a hot stove. You keep touching a hot stove, you're going to get burned. You touch it again, you're going to get burned. And eventually, you will uh, learn by your mistakes that, hey... What you're doing, the choices you're making, you can't make any gar- make them anymore because God loves you so much that He's going to get you to the point of changing your mind and, and doing different. In regards to faith and obedience, okay, can I pause, can we pause there? Because um, let me take the illustration then, and what I'm what we're talking about here. Let me take your illustration all the way home. Then I touch the stove, I get burned. Touch the stove, I get burned. Eventually, I will learn. I'm asking, what if I never learn? Well, you're what if safe. I throw my whole body on the stove? What if I put my face, what if I face plant on the burner? Well, I, I think it's still, you know. Because, because, yeah, like Paul because said, the way you answered that question, I know what you think. The way you answered that question is you just told me your theology, which is we make mistake, make mistake, we learn from our mistakes, and then guess what? Eventually we don't do what? Make the same mistake. Make the same mistake. And yes. I'm asking, what if I do? Well, Paul learned that in Romans 7 when he says, why am I always doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do? Okay, so he, he you know, he, he wrestled with that, and we're still going to wrestle with that. And by the way, guys, some people believe that when Paul wrote Romans 7, it was, it was around 20 years after he had the uh, conversion on the road to Damascus. 20 years. And he writes Romans 7, I do the things I don't want to do. Why, oh, wretched man, right? And right, we'll struggle with that till the day we die. Our sin was ever before us. So you have the mic. So will my life, am I guaranteed a different life after I come to know Jesus? Well, what I was going to put in regards to faith and obedience, I was going to start off with that, but I'm going to end with that. Okay. That's, Linked or not? I believe it is. Okay. But I, but I also believe, you know, what... Or who you put your faith into will be as only as good in the end as the object or the person you put your faith into. Okay, true. Uh, but I, I want to assume the, the, 
the object of our faith we're talking about tonight is Christ. And so you're saying if I put my faith in Christ, they, I, will, I can expect and others around me can expect a change in life. Whereas over here, the position was more, I put my faith in Christ, a lot of hope that I do it, a lot of, lot of um, you have the tools to do it, but you still have the choice not to do it. And not just to do it just once, you can live a lifetime of not doing it. Well, I think God's good. Do you understand, and, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but do you understand the difference here? Right? And so we're not just talking about... Um, Something I, I, I think is, is fairly minute. It, it really does determine, guys, the way you talk to other people, the way you view these passages and others. It, it's two very different things. It's one thing to say to a person, you should be doing this. I hope you're going you know, and, but, but I know that you may never do this. And when you die, you're still guaranteed all of the trappings of eternal life with Jesus Christ. It's another thing to say, listen, pal, I got to be honest with you. I'm seeing all of these things in the Bible about what a believer's life should look like. And let's just be honest, guys. What we're, what we're not talking about here is for you and for me to assume the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're not talking about you and me walking around saying, you're a Christian, you're not. Well, why isn't that person a Christian? Because I don't like the way that they're doing X, Y, and Z, right? That's not, that's not what we're discussing here. So that's not my role, it's not our role, but isn't the scripture clear on what a believer's life should look like? What, it, what, it, what a believer's life looks like in light of their changed life in Christ? Oh my gosh, why did you have to go to that one? I would have been content with, what about a backslidden Christian? But now you have the backslidden Christian dying. And, and then the answer is, well, what about the thief and the cross? Um, and so some would say that, um, well, he, he came, to, he, he was 11th hour decision, right? A, um, a bedside conversion. Um, and in the two minutes he had, he didn't backslide. He lived faithfully to the end, um, albeit <laughs> relatively short. Um, okay, so what about the backslidden Christian? Um, how does that fit into all of this? And then we add to the fact that while they're backslidden, they, uh, they, they, they die. Um, yeah, th- that all of those factors are, are fair game when we look at this particular issue. They have to be. Now, I don't live, nor do you live, in the, in the realm of what-ifs. We don't live in the, in the realm of case studies. But I'm sure over the course of time, there have been people that were right where Peter was at after denial number three and then died. See, we love the Peter story because we've got the end of the Peter story, which is he he dies upside down on a cross crucified because he says, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus died. So now we can put a bow on that guy's life and say, well, oh my gosh, not only did he go to heaven, he's reigning in heaven, right? But there has to be people. There have to be people that deny, do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? You know. What about them? Those are the hard ones, right? Those are the ones that, I got a guy right now, love him to death. And he has literally, I think I mentioned before, divorced Jesus. 
And guys, the, the enigma of this whole thing, the absolute mystery to me is one of my best friends in life was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. He is a product of this guy leading him to Jesus. Same guy that led this guy to Jesus that I'm now great friends with has, has in writing said, I divorced God. And he's still living. So he's still a mystery. But what if he were to pass away tomorrow? I, I honestly am at a loss. Because why would, G, why would Satan, right? If I'm a, I'm a son or daughter of Jesus or I'm a son or daughter of it, why would Satan use somebody in his kingdom to win someone to the other kingdom? It, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't fit. On the other hand, can you as a believer divorce God? free will, free choice. Is that, does that come into play? Certainly not if you're, if you believe that God did all the work, I didn't do any and God, you know, once he saves me, I'm saved forever. And there's my friend right in the middle of all this, right in the middle, lives south of Tucson. He's a real guy. I'm not making this up. He really works and lives and it's hard guys. It's it, this is hard, hard stuff. Um, and I, I don't claim to, to, you know, in 35 40 minutes give all of the answers. I want to set the table so that when you and I read these kinds of passages, uh, we read them more, maybe a little bit more deep than we're used to reading them. Um, These questions that are right under the surface of these passages are right there. And if you don't address them now, you can leave tonight and not wrestle with this and go home and think, well, all we did tonight was ask a bunch of questions with no answers. You're going to go to a James Bible study a year from now, two years from now, and the same questions are going to come up. They're not going to go away. So my, my job tonight isn't to give you 17 answers, but rather maybe 17 questions and have you over this season of your life right now wrestle with it uh, because the ramifications are simply this. I want to be obedient. I want to have a changed life, God, and I certainly want to do my part. I, I want to receive all the blessings of an obedient life. But I also want to be aware of what God's role in this and the Holy Spirit's role. And if I take the position that God saves me, but then I do all of the work on my end and, and I can actually live a life that is so contrary to the word of God, someone could look at me and say, honestly, a, a pagan could look at me and say, you live exactly the way I look. I, there's no difference in our lifestyle, not one. Other than you say you know Jesus Christ. That's the only difference at all. You're correct. Yeah. So yeah. In God's will and God's strength you do change. But just by you saying that you have declared now you will change. Who's that? Whoever timing it is. You will change. And, and, And again it's back to this question. Will you? So so can I just add this? I think you are better than you were five years ago. Uh, don't sell yourself short. I, there, guys, there, you know, woe is me. We need to really get rid of that. I am a changed person in Jesus Christ. And you need to know that. Not because I want to promote myself, but I want you to be changed. See, when we share the gospel, this is why it matters, guys. Because if I go to someone and say, Jesus Christ can change, he'll save your life, you get heaven. But the way you live your life is completely up to you. If someone's selling me that, I'm not sure I want to buy that. 
But if someone comes to me and says, hey, listen, I got to tell you something based on my own life. You can look at my life as, as, as evidence, but I'll show you in God's word as well. When you come to know Jesus, I will guarantee you not much, but I'll guarantee you this. You will have a changed life. Your life will be changed for the better and you get heaven and all the other stuff. That's a completely different message. Is it a risky message? Absolutely. Why? Because what if their life doesn't change, right? That's what we're always asking is, God, I don't want to step out and share that message with someone because I'm afraid their life won't change. And my question tonight is, it's how you believe this. It's, it's, what you, it's how you honestly believe this particular question, which is, can I move forward and say to someone, I don't know how it's going to look. In, our, in, in, in your life, it's going to look a little different than mine. My job isn't to judge you in the way it's going to look. But it will be different. I don't know much, but I know that. Guys, I, I honestly think our world today needs to hear that message. And guys, I think they want to hear that message. Um, I, teach, I teach about Scientology. Scientology is... is it's so funny to me just because it's all about you and, and what they say. Their whole promotion is we're not going to tell you how to live life. That's not our job. And boy, that message sells in this culture, right? We're not going to tell you how to live life. That's your job. We're just going to guide you and help you understand maybe some of your faults. And then you can decide what you want to do. That's a completely different message than what I think maybe could it be that Jesus himself when he says things like, you need to take up your cross and follow me, follow me, period. If you haven't died to yourself, I don't know what you're waiting for. We hear that, that theme throughout the scriptures. In Galatians 5, we're contrasted with the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. They, they don't intermingle. Paul says clearly, you are either living one or the other. Jesus himself gets so bent at us, right? He writes a letter to the church at Laodicea. In Revelation 3, and what does he say to them? I would assume you'd be one or the other. But because you're doing this thing, I just want to vomit you out of my mouth. He says that to who? To believers. So, so could it be that I'm walking down the street as a pagan, as a non-Christian, as whatever? I've got problems, right? We all have that a lifestyle that's somewhat similar, different factors for everyone here but we all came to christ with junk and guys in your heart of hearts you may not have said at the time but didn't you come to christ wanting to change that stuff didn't you come to christ maybe maybe even say maybe it's a better way to say it like this i know i can't change it god i've tried right i've tried to do it on my own it's not working so holy spirit i'm asking i'm begging you to come in and change my life because i can't do it on my own and if God doesn't promise to do that, if God leaves us at the option of, I'll give you eternal life, and I'll dwell in you, I'll live in you, and, but you've got, you don't have to change. Strong message, weak message. Um, okay, PowerPoint. Just quickly, I just went through James. Because the question I always ask myself, and maybe you ask this too, I, go, I, I ask myself, what should a believer's life look like? 
right? And the question, and the answers that always come up, maybe because I work with teenagers a lot, but the, but the questions that always come up are, you know, drinking sex and, and R-rated movies. It's, it's like we're focused on that. Like I get, I get questions all the time. Should I watch an R-rated movie? And I say, my answer is, I don't see in the scriptures what a believer's life should look like as it pertains to that particular question, but blow it out. And then answer the question. In other words, back up a little bit and ask God, what, what should my life look like as a Christian? So I just, guys, I went through the passages we've looked at for the past six weeks. That's it. One book, one chapter. And here's what I came up with. A believer's life should be, uh, according to James, it's someone who has proper understanding of who God is and thanks God for the many blessings because they know the good things in their life has come from God. Regarding the word of God, a believer is someone who wants to know the biblical God and and so they spend time in his word. It's someone who reads God's word for the sake of both understanding and applying it. A believer is someone who is willing to acquiesce and let God's word trump their own desires. A believer is someone who says to God and his word, I am teachable. You ask me, what should a believer's life look like? And I will just turn you to the book of James and say, this. Well, yeah, what about this, this, this? I don't know. I really don't. I know this. I've had two people come to me, two people from last week when we talked about anger and say to me, I applied being patient this week. I had, I had an issue and I could have gotten angry and I chose not to because of what we talked about last week. Guys, that's someone who is willing to acquiesce and let God's word trump their own desires. What does a believer's word, what does a believer look like? It's someone that actually applies God's word. How and when and I don't know. I played golf this past weekend, and I took a 10 on a par 5. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but it infuriated me. Because four of the shots, I couldn't get out of the sand. Actually, it was more like this. And, And honestly, not because I was teaching it, but because I heard my own message last week. At the same tournament, guys, I saw a guy throw a club. Okay, so, so... I had that option. And I'm not saying I've, like, I've never done that because I have, and it feels good for a moment when that thing is just. So I, I took a 10 and I thought my tournament's over. I lost the tournament. And I, and amazingly, miraculously, I chose to be patient. I thought, you know what? It's a tournament. I've lost it for 13 years now. I'm not going to win it again. It's not a big deal. Here goes another year, and I, enjoy, I enjoyed the rest of the day, and at the end of the day, I didn't even finish close to first. It wouldn't even have mattered. But what would have mattered was if I'd gotten angry. Now, do I make that choice all the time, right decision? No. But a believer is someone who has that option of saying, I know what I should do, and I actually do it from time to time. God, I actually apply your word uh, regarding thoughts and actions. You can read the rest. Someone who sees trials, it's time to draw closer to God. It's not going to be easy, but they want to mature. A lot of this, this is the the next couple, regarding wealth. Someone who doesn't see their identity through their economic standing. Someone who thanks God, whether rich or poor, never holds on to things too tightly. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is one chapter of one book in the Bible. I could give you several other chapters where we could look at what a believer's life. And guys, I think we all know this. I think you know this as well as I do. It's not so much, is this person a believer or not? The question, I I, I think the issue is, I know you're a believer. 
It's not so much I'm focused on while you're doing sin. So, gosh, I really question whether you're a believer or not. That I, rather than focus on that, because we all have it. What if we focused on, I, I don't know how you couldn't be a believer based on the way you're living your life. I hear you every day claiming uh, that you want to know God more. As the deer pants for the water, right? Psalm 42. I hear you talking about, you know, your shortcomings and how you feel bad about that. And you, you just got angry at your kids and you don't want to do that anymore. And, and, I, and I saw how much you cared for the homeless or the poor or the widow or orphan. I saw that in your life. And I saw when we were worshiping last week, because you do come to church, and, and I saw you worshiping. And, and I could just tell. I can't prove it, but I could just tell it was so heartfelt. It's like you just wanted to be with you and God. I I, I see that. What does a believer's life look like? I'm not going to give you a list, uh, an exhaustive list. I just, I think we need to conclude this. I think you just, when you see it, you just kind of know it. And, And guys, that's where you and I need to be. I don't need to prove to you by my verbiage and, and you know, that I'm a believer I need to get close with Jesus by reading his word, loving him. And it's, okay, I'll step out and give my opinion right now. I think it's going to show up. In fact, I'll argue this. It's going to be impossible if I draw close to my king and my Lord for it not to show up. Because I'm going to touch the stove one too many times and I'm going to say, this is absolutely stupid. And I'm stopping. I'm going to touch the stove one too many times and say, it's time to grow up in this area. That's maturity. I gave my kids, my, my students, an assignment of going out and minister to homeless. And, and it's a Christian school. And, and, and so, guys, again, the signs of a believer, all the papers that came back said the exact same thing. I didn't want to do it. But I did. And now I, can, I, I want to do it all the time. One kid, I just brag on Noah. Noah writes this. He says, before I did this, I was really nervous, Mr. Tongson, didn't know what to expect. But as time went on, as I talked to this guy out on Mill Avenue, I, I talked to them a lot more easier than I... He, he said this, I realized that I talked to them, these people that are strangers, a lot more easier than I could talk to most kids at the high school. He said they really wanted to talk with me, which made me want to engage more and ask more questions. The homeless aren't just people who got dealt the wrong hand or went the wrong way in life, but they also want to change for the best. What I learned from this is, from a Christian's perspective, is that this shouldn't be a burden for us. We should want to do this. And I knew by the time I was done, I did. It it was by far the most fulfilling feeling I've had in my life. And I wouldn't change it for the world. What does a believer's life look like? Does this kid know it? Has he got issues? Sure, he's got issues. Is that one of the marks, though, of a changed life? I think it is. It's, 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 it's faith. God, I'm trusting in you. I don't know what this is going to look like. I want to go talk to this guy. I don't know, you know, but I know I should. I know you want me to care for people who are disenfranchised. And, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to obey you. And God says, Noah... I'm going to make the next 45 minutes of your life, life transforming, life changing. And so that's the dance we do with God, right? God, I'm stepping out in faith here. I'm going to give money that I don't have because I'm called to do it. I'm stepping out in obedience. I'm a doer of the word. 
not just a hear. I'm not just going to hear messages on tithing. I'm going to actually do it. And God says, you're stepping out in obedience. I'm going to bless you. And now the dance begins. God, I know I shouldn't, you know, be sleeping with, with so-and-so. And, and so I'm going to step out and by faith, I'm going to obey you in that. And God says, let the dance begin. James goes on and on and on. And I know it's problematic because you read that and think, okay, are my works then tied to whether I'm a believer or not? And we're out of time. And so I, I want to I continue that discussion. There's one comment here in the back. I, we can get to that comment. Yeah, um, Greg, we'll, we'll was, end with this then. And, Greg, I was just going to mention that um, the question you posed tonight is an interesting one. It, it actually... I think leads to a much broader subject, and that is eternal security. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've listened to Dr. Tony Evans' eight-part subject on eternal security, and I can tell you it's not an easy subject. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of folks out there that believe once saved, always saved, but it also says in Matthew 7, and you know what Jesus says, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. So it, you're right, it's an ongoing ongoing issue. And, and let's make it that, guys. Um, this is not, you know, let's wrap this up and, and clean house tonight. Uh, but let's address the issue. Uh, I just don't know how to do this without addressing the issue. Um, James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So, application for tonight. Assess the areas of my life, Christian atheism, assess the areas of my life that I would say God this whole idea of faith and obedience, but I'll just be honest with you, God, I am really struggling in this area. Assess that area. Get naked before God, for lack of a better word, and say, by faith, God, I'm trusting you this very week. I'm trusting you in this area of my life. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know what that's going to look like. May not change overnight, God, but I'm going to give this area over to you. And when that decision comes for me to go back into that area or go this way, God, by faith and obedience, I'm going to go in this way into the unknown and I'm going to trust you for the results, for the blessings. How they're going to show up, when they're going to show up, I don't know. But I know this, they're going to show up and you are going to be a better person for that. And if it doesn't satisfy you to be a better person, guys, think of it this way. Someone's watching you right now. They're going to be more drawn to the cross because you're being obedient in this area that you've refused to be obedient for for months, maybe years. Somebody may come to Christ because you stepped out in faith and obedience in that area of your life. So if it doesn't satisfy you to be blessed in that area, think of it that way. Wouldn't it be great? Someone comes up to you in heaven and says... I saw you make this decision when everyone else is making the wrong that you made this decision and that drew me into a conversation with someone you don't even know about Jesus Christ and I'm sitting there in heaven with you now. Thank you for doing that. And Jesus will say to you, well done, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful, obedient servant. Let's pray. Father, these are difficult passages, but I so love this, this form to talk about it. And God, I hope I've made it clear tonight. I don't have all the answers. Hope I made it clear, Father, that this is uh, worth more than a 50-minute discussion. 
But God, you challenge your, your, your kids to deep, deep things. And if not for a Tuesday night Bible study when people are out there watching TV or going to games or hanging out doing... There's a group of people in here that desire to know the answers. And so, Father, would you give us the wisdom to know the answers? How does this look in my life, Father, to be obedient in an area that I'm struggling in? And Father, we will trust, as someone mentioned, that it's not on our strength that this area is going to get cleaned up or moved forward. It's all going to be on you. And because of that, when Pastor Brian or others get up and sing about how great thou art, we will sing that because we are examples of changed lives. That, Father, this church, especially here in the Chandler area, will move forward and say, please don't think we're perfect, but we are changed. And I don't need to tell you that. You can just look at my life. And when we do that, God, we will anticipate some powerful results. So, God, as we move forward this week, give us the strength to make those choices in a way that would please you. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Go vote next week. We will see you uh, next Tuesday.